All right, everyone, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yes, it is. Luke chapter 8 tonight. And uh, it starts with, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. But after this, you know, we have plenty to do tonight, and I don't need to review, but after this, after what? That beautiful, that beautiful, not just a story, because it happened, that, that beautiful experience of that sinful woman and walking determinedly. She just was so determined to go into that home of, the, of Simon the Pharisee because she, she put everybody and everything else aside and walked in that door somehow, some way. And she came and kept her eyes fixed on Jesus, but yet was so humble and knew, knew who he was and couldn't help but just maneuver behind him and then fall at her at his feet and and the tears of probably all of her life just came gushing out and they were flowing down her face and they were dropping on Jesus' feet and she was trying to wipe him up with her hair and then she breaks open this perfume and oh what an aroma and, and to be able to see Jesus' face and know that he is loving every second of it. And how then he looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your many sins are gone. They're forgiven. And then to be able to say now, your faith, the fact that you had faith enough and determination enough, strength enough, courage enough to come in here, your faith has saved you. And now you go and live in peace there's just no other way to live. This is the best. And so after this experience, you know, he now moves on from town to town, village to village, and look what he's doing. He's just proclaiming. Isn't that a great word? Proclaiming. He, because anybody who complains, I keep thinking, or proclaims, I keep thinking how the angels proclaim the news of the Savior. So that word proclaim means, oh, do I have good news for you. It's just like, I can't keep this under wraps. I just got to let it out. And he proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God. This kingdom that has no end. This kingdom that includes all of his family. You and me were a part of this kingdom and that's what he wants. He wants to incorporate all of us. But there's only one way for that to happen. They're only his terms, no one else's. And that is what he's proclaiming, the good news. Opportunity to be saved, to be transformed, to have life eternal. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. She was one. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, manager um, of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support the disciples in Jesus out of their own means. Why would they do that? Why would they give so much? And I don't think it's a hard question to answer. They're just so grateful. That's why. 
They know. They look in the mirror. They know what they were, and now they see what, what he has transformed them into, what he has done to their lives, and, and they just can't give enough. I mean, does that say anything to you? Do we, are we that grateful? Do we want to do whatever it takes to show them how grateful we are with our lives, with our means, with, you know, I, I can't help but say this when I read this. It, I just love the way Jesus knew the importance of women. I mean, he, I mean, obviously he knew, but how he even used him in his ministry. And, and, you know, I'm grateful for that because not everybody believes that, that, you know, women should have a place. And, and, and I am so, can I just say to many of you men here tonight that, you know, I, I think it's that you've just grown in your walk with the Lord so that when you're, when you open your Bible, all you hear is God talking. You don't, you don't hear me. You don't hear gender. You just hear God talking. And that's, that's critical. That's important. Um, I remember Ann Graham telling this story. She was on a pro, on the program at a conference. She was on the platform with a lot of men, and when it was her time to get up and speak, while she was getting up, all the men were picking up their chairs and turning them around, and they faced the wall when she talked. You know, and she was saying how that broke her heart because, you know, she felt she was speaking God's word too, and she felt called. In fact, her dad even said she was the best preacher in the family, you know. So, you know, it's just important, at least for me, that that we just see Jesus loved to incorporate men, women, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, you know. We all come to Calvary the same, so... Anyway, these women were grateful, and they showed it. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Now, if I were to ask you, what is a parable? What does it mean? You would be able to quote, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But Jesus didn't use a parable to, to make something clear. I think he used parables to see who really wanted to know. He, he wanted to see who wanted to ask questions, who wanted to know a deeper meaning. Um, it was so easy to listen to a simple story, you know, keep it superficial and easy and comfortable, but those who really wanted to dig into the reason why he was saying this, or had to be a purpose. You believed there was something more than just the actual story, and you asked questions. Jesus loved it when people asked questions with the, with the intent to want to know, not to try to trap them, of course, but he loves it when we come to him with questions, when he could see that we seriously want to know. And so he told this story, which would be very, um, you know, very identifiable as far as understandable when in this time, because, you know, there were a lot of farmers, there was a lot of agriculture, they wouldn't understand this. So it would, it was, it would definitely be understood. So he says a farmer went out to sow his seed and he was scattering his seed and, 
and that it scattered on, fell on a path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Another seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it, choked with, choked the plants. Still another seed fell on good soil. It came up, yielded a crop, and a hundred times more than what was sown. So four different kinds of soil and one kind of seed. And, and if you would just look at that and hear that story, I, I, I read this and I couldn't help but tell you this and share this with you because I think this is what Jesus' point was. There were so many different kind of people with so many different occupations and then they were hearing that. And so I'm going to say, okay, wonder if one of those farmers heard that story. They were, they were in that large crowd. And what, what would they be thinking in this story as a farmer? And they'd probably be saying, oh, he's telling, to me, he's telling me to be more careful and not to waste those seeds. And then wonder if a politician was in that crowd and he heard that story. What would he, what would he take from that? Oh, he's telling me to begin, a, to begin a farm program with the youth. And I think that would help me get elected. And wonder if a newspaper reporter was listening to that story. What would they say? Oh, we got a series here, a four-parter. And it's starting out with we got a bird problem. You know, you hear what you want to hear, and then, and then what about a salesman? What, what about a salesman? A salesman, he'd just be thinking, and he'd say, oh, he is encouraging me to sell more seeds. You know, exactly. And when Jesus finished saying it that way, he said, he called out. He called out, he wanted, he said, if you... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And now he's not talking that if you're not deaf, I hope you're... This is physical ears, physical eyes. We all have been blessed with those. But Jesus is talking about spiritual ears and spiritual eyes that will take, will take this story far deeper in a direction that would never go otherwise. So he said, if you have ears, if you've got spiritual ears and spiritual eyes, I want you to really hear this. And so his disciples came back and asked him the meaning. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. I mean, it is such a privilege and an opportunity, he's saying, you have been you have been chosen. You're you're given one chance after another, one opportunity after another. And I think Jesus is already encouraging them, saying, Do you realize what opportunity this is? And you can get to know me better and better if you ask questions, if you wanna know, if you take it and work this, if you take the time, make the effort, if you really want to study. The secrets, the mystery is revealed to you. I mean, that's for you and me. 
That's, you know, the more that we study every day and we commit to coming into a group like this and we, we, he can see our earnest desire. And he said, do you realize that's the secret? I mean, everybody loves to know a secret. And see, Jesus said, you'll know the secret when you are willing to make the effort and to hear the truth. And so... He said, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. So he quoted that verse from Isaiah, and he said, there's just so many who are going to hear with their physical ears. They'll hear this story, but yet they really won't hear it. And they won't even ask a question to get to know. They don't care. They just hear it. Oh, good story. That's why he said, those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. So the meaning isn't always obvious when he tells a parable. But he wants to see who really is going to seek it out. And he went on in verse 11. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. And I think, you know, all of a sudden, the large crowd turned to that choice view. And he said, this is the meaning of the parable. And what a meaning it is. He said, this, the seed is the word of God. See what I mean? The seed never changes. The seed is the same. And when you talk about these four different soils, you can't ever say, well, maybe, maybe the seed wasn't any good. Maybe that was the problem. No, this is cleared out right off the bat when he said the seed is the word of God. And those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Boy, that's serious. If you, you know, we've heard this parable so many times I've probably heard a bazillion one sermons on it. But that, I don't think it was until this particular week that I saw, wow, he really leveled here. He said, you know, if you have, if your heart soil is just so hard, and, you know, and it's so hard for us to fathom, but there are so many people, and I know we've talked about this before, that it, how can people turn from this? How can people not want this? How can people not want to have their sins forgiven? How, how, can, how can someone now want to know that they can have eternal home? I mean, it's just unfathomable, isn't it, that there's some people that just want no part of it. But that is, you can't just shrug that off. That is so serious because Jesus says, hey, you know, they don't, they have the opportunity, they hear it, and they say, no, don't want anything to do with it. And how hard their heart is that he says, they're not going to be saved. That's how serious it is. Now, I think you can look at this parable. Um, like uh, the first time when you hear the gospel, it's like, it's like what Paul said, you're included in Christ when you hear and you choose to believe and then you're given the gift of God's spirit. It's like the first time, and I know for many of us, we grew up with this, but there was a time when all of a sudden it clicked. All of a sudden you realized that this was your, this was 
for you. This, it's like there was no one else in the room. I needed to hear this gospel for me, even though I might have known it for years and years, but now it, it, it connected. God's Holy Spirit connected with my spirit, and there has to be a time that that happened. But we can kind of look at this parable. When, when you have that opportunity the first time to hear the gospel, this is how it can happen. It can either happen like you think, oh, yeah, well, you know, nice for some, but I don't need it. Or it says it's like the, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. So, you know, there are some that hear the gospel and they're sitting either in church or someplace and they hear it and, oh, boy, does that sound good. And they, they're all pumped up. They just, oh, yes, and, you know, they're emotional and, oh, yeah. But they walk out of there and it's like they left all of that behind and they didn't do anything more with that experience. And so because of that... It's gone. I mean, you can hear it and get all excited and say, yes, I want that. But if you go out there and you don't work at it, you don't make it and grow and mature with it. And then what does he say about, okay, what about the seed that fell among thorns? It stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. It's the, it's the same kind of principle. The rocky and the thorny is, is kind of the same kind of principle. You don't get roots. You don't do what it takes to get the seed into your soul so that it becomes a part of you. And so he uses this illustration of, yeah, you hear it, and you're again, you're excited, and you believe it, and you're sincere about it, but if you leave here and you are not getting those roots down there, then when, when worries come, all of a sudden, you know, here comes the worry and here comes the fear and the panic. And, and you know what else? Two little words that I think destroy. Yeah, I believe, yeah, but. The yeah, but is just nasty. You know, when when all of a sudden life just turns a curve and there it goes, this is not what I expected for my life and, and we were under the illusion that he was going to do everything I wanted. And because you, you're biblically illiterate and you are not willing to try to find his whole purpose and his will is perfect and, and all that because you don't hear any of that. And you're just thinking, well, he's supposed to make everything good. And, and, and the, off it goes. But then there's those who, who hear the word and, and they love it and they're serious about it. And they respond to the gospel with a big yes. And they go home. And they, like what Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor. You know that you, you are nothing without a Savior. You are lost without a Savior. Blessed are you when you know that. And, and then you do something about it. But then blessed are you who hunger. You hunger for more because you want to grow. You want to hear his instruction so that you can someday finish well. 
You want the instruction book, and, and you take it seriously, and you watch the Spirit start taking over and transforming your life. You start to see these changes that you almost can't hardly believe because you know you so well, and you, all of a sudden you start to see these different kind of characteristics come on out of you. So you just want more of that. That's fertile soil. That's what gets roots down. So when life happens... Because yes, life is up and down and there's nothing we can do about that. That's life. Life is up and down, but our spiritual life should be on a steady, solid line all the time. It should be unmovable because whether it's a good day or a bad day, he hasn't changed and he will be there and his promises will remain this is how we want to go through. We don't, we don't want our spiritual life to be fluctuating like regular life. We can't control regular life, but we can control how much we are solid in our Lord. And that is through. It takes time. It takes work. It takes study. It takes, it takes surrender. It takes, like Jesus said, you want to be a follower of mine? Well, I hate to tell you this because it's not going to go over real good, but you got to deny yourself. Human beings don't like that, but he said, this is, this is the term. You got to deny yourself. You got to take up this life. You got to take up your cross. You got to take up your yuck. You got to take it all up and just follow me and believe that I'm not going to lead you in the wrong direction. So now what about the same kind of um, taking this parable and I believe that this parable is not just for the first time you hear the gospel and you have to make a decision, but it also is, I think, any and every time that you have God's word presented to you or any time you get into God's word, you have to decide, okay, what kind of, what kind of heart soil do I have today? I mean, like even tonight, for example, you can come in here and you can say, you know, um, Okay, I am going to go through this Luke chapter 8 line by line, and, um, but then as, as we're listening, and I know I, can, I just get going talking, I understand that. But sometimes, you know, I try to stick right to this, but a lot of times in our own minds, you know what happens? We just start cruising off the course a little bit. All of a sudden you think, oh man, I hope she's done because I'm going to get the election started at 8 o'clock. I mean, you don't even mean to do that, but it just happens. And before you know it, and you know, that lousy devil is so clever that he knows if you just start to veer off course, you know what he can do? He can make some kind of distraction that will just take you way off. And who knows, by the time you think about it, hey, 10 minutes is gone. Oh, I wonder what I missed. What, we're on that verse already? <laughs> and what's serious about that is that, you know what, you did miss it. You missed God's talking to you because of the... All of a sudden, your heart soil was, was hard because the, all you were thinking about was you. you. You weren't working at hearing God's word and let it take root. So I think this parable is so much more. And it woke me up to say, you know, how many times haven't I done that? How much have I missed? Just because I, I just got off track, started thinking about, you know, tonight, tomorrow, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it just happens. 
or wonder if sometime, you know, we hear God's word and, oh, we do get excited. And, and it's like our soil is rocky, our heart is rocky, and because we, we get excited about it, but then we don't put it into practice. And again, we lose it. Thorny soil. Sometimes we're, we hear the gospel, and yes, it's wonderful, and we believe it, we're sincere about it. But before we know it, we're saying, yeah, but this is not what I wanted. This is not the way I wanted my life to go. And how God's word, all of a sudden, you start thinking about your, your circumstances and the way you want, and instead of saying, no. I'm trusting because, see, the, the next soil, this is the soil that we all want. And just because we might have pliable soil once doesn't mean we're going to have pliable soil always. It's something you and I have to keep working at to have good soil with good roots so that it can continuously grow us up and increase our faith in our walk. We need to study. We need to keep our Bibles open. We need to continuously surrender and know that our life is not about us anymore. It is about and for him. And those, those things are going to keep our soil so it will then generate and reap a hundredfold. And isn't that what we want? We want, we want to finish well. We want, our, we want to have made a dent in our little part of the world. But what a responsibility we have. And that's why I think he moves right into no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. I don't think when somebody was telling Luke this story of Jesus' teaching, it just flows right into it. So think you have a responsibility to take this message, this good news, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, and you're a part of it. You've got a responsibility to put that out on a stand. Because... He put it in a way like, I mean, is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard is turn the light on and put a blanket over it or bushel over it and it is ineffective and it's worthless and pointless? So you take this beautiful gospel, this transformed life, this Holy Spirit-filled, guided life, full life, contented life, satisfied life, and you put it on a stand. And it's not that you have to be preaching all the time, but let me tell you, if you are contented and satisfied and you have the light of Jesus coming out of you, and that means those nine characteristics of Jesus, you don't even sometimes have to open up your mouth. It is just noticeable. Because it is a light. And so he puts it in that way. You just don't put a light that needs to shine in darkness. You just don't put that away. 
And then he gets a little serious, doesn't he, in verse 17? For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. You know, he's talking, you know, future. He could, you know, he could be talking like, um, I can see everything. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. But I think he's also saying the day's going to come. That, and Paul even talks about that this light is going to be, be shown in our heart. And so everything that you know, we thought we could hide and get away with and that no one noticed. I mean, to me, this is quite a haunting verse because a lot. There's no, nothing that's going to be hidden that isn't going to be disclosed. disclosed. The real you is going to come forth. Nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Look at verse 18. After he says that statement, and that better get your attention, that you know that that's coming. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Don't don't think this is such frivolous or don't think that this isn't serious. If you think that this is just, oh yeah, yeah, don't get so don't get so hot and heavy about this, but it is because he says, you better listen carefully because it's gonna affect because well, look at whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. See, I think this is when there is going to be shocked people. When they are confronted face to face with Jesus, they are going to be so shocked. They're going to be so surprised because they, again, believe the lie that they could maybe kind of put their week, they could start their week in church for an hour and end their week in church for an hour, but in between, it was mine. I could do what I want, when, how. Oh, and, and, you know, I might, you know, throw in a few good deeds here and there. Isn't that great? Now these, they're going to stand in front of Jesus, and he is going to say these words I never knew you. I never knew you. I mean, this message Jesus tells again in a very descriptive way later. When they're going to be so surprised, what? I did this and I did that. And, you know, no, um, I can see the whole reason behind. And it wasn't me. It wasn't about me. And to hear him say, I never knew you, um, I just can't even fathom. Can you? But that's what he says is going to happen. Even what he thinks he has. Even all those things that he thought was so good that sure should have gotten a few brownie points. No, that will be taken away. And I hate, hate to say it so bluntly, but... When he says, I never knew you, you're not going to be spending eternity with him. So these words are very important and very worth thinking about and pondering. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. 
someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. You know, at first you think, well, you know, that kind of sounded cold. But Jesus was not a cold person. Of course, he, he had a whole reason for saying that. He is now stretching this family of his. And we know without a doubt he loved his mom and he cared about his mom. And he cared for her up until his dying breath. So that is not the problem. What he's trying to do is tell you and me we can be included in that family. We can be a part of this. And you know, it was kind of comical because I looked it up in John and in Mark, John 7, Mark 3. Jesus' brothers, they, at this point, at this particular point, I'm sure, I'm sure they took their mom just because a mom sometimes just wants to see her boy. And she probably needed some, some help or some protection or whether so, you know, a couple of the boys say, I'll take you. But they thought he was just, you know, goofball. And we know what happened and how that all changed. But at this particular point, but Jesus is trying to show you and I that we can be a part of this. But he says, this is, this is the term. This is how you can become a part of my family. Those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So this chapter, love the way it flows from, from the seed, God's word. What kind of soil is it landing in your heart? And, and if, if it has taken root, then let your light so shine because it is a dark world out there. And why would you have something so wonderful? Why have your story so life-changing, and you don't want to share it. And then he says, you can become my family if you just take my word and you put it into practice. You just don't hear and say, yeah, that sounds good, but then you don't work at that. That's why on the day of your salvation, you were given his spirit to help connect the words of his instruction with the Holy Spirit to then flip those lights on and you understand it and you work it. You know, if we want to, we sing this song, don't we? And he walks with me and he talks with me. I mean, that's a close relationship, right? And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we can share as we tarry there, none other, none other can ever know. Unless you have actually experienced that and you're, you're in a walk and talk relationship because you, you've got fertile soil because you are working at it. And it's serious, and, and you want all what he's offering you. And you're willing to let yourself go and obey his instruction. That's what's going to keep you and I close in a 
family relationships. Isn't that what we all, all want in our families? That we get along, that we're close. We want our families close. It breaks our heart when there's, when there's some kind of hurt or separation or fighting or division or quarreling. We don't like that. But when it comes to our spiritual family, it's should be just as important to keep it knitted together in a close walk, in close fellowship. Putting God's word into practice. All right, then verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Were they really? I mean, there's such a lesson here because, you know, we can't get too upset with them, although we should. And Jesus, you know, he's saying, come on, guys, there should have been a couple clues here that would have kept fear away. For one thing, I'm here. I'm right with you. And yeah, the storm is fierce. I'm not going to deny you that. But I'm here. And the clue that you should have gotten is when I said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Do you think I would have said, let's go over to the other side of the lake if I really didn't mean it and we, I knew we were going down? When God says, we're gonna, I'm going to do it, or when I say this is my promise to you, he means it. So that should have been a clue. And I'm thinking, yep, how often don't I fall into a fear or panic or something when my emotion gets bigger than my faith? Because, yeah, but look at what's happening. Look at how that, how that all fits together. And this is when we start to crumble. They should have known when God said, let's go over to the other side. We're going to go to the other side. And then another thing, they should have known for years and years of training and all the Old Testament Jewish teachings about, about the promise of the Messiah and that it was going to take a blood sacrifice. You know, that's why we kill the little lamb every Passover. Why the blood went over the door, Poros? Because that was all symbolic that the blood sacrifice was what the Father was going to accept to cover every one of our sins. Now, they knew that. So do you think that Jesus is going to die in a boat? But even though that might sound so silly to us now, I think sometimes we do the same thing. I mean, when he says it, when he promises, when he doesn't say it's going to be comfortable and easy and that the storm isn't going to come, but he does say that he'll be there and that we can sense his peace. And so when they said, Master, Master, we're going to drown, he got up and he rebuked the wind. He rebuked. It's a strong word. He did rebuke the wind. And, and maybe, maybe by using that strong word, you know, was, was Satan trying to, you know, again, number two reason why he loves to just plague us is to try to get us to fear and let our emotions get bigger than faith. And I mean, he tries to get the storm in our life, you know, so that, that we don't look to the Lord, that we look to ourselves and we feel defeated and we feel hopeless. And 
So maybe that Jesus had to rebuke it. Maybe he said, you get out of here. He rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. And you know, Jesus didn't say, he didn't look at, at the 12 and say, whew, that was a bad one. Or, whew, glad we made it through that. No, no, he came back with very few words. He came back with a question. Where is your faith? Now, I know that, that we all have a long way to go, and so do these guys. But Jesus is expecting us to sometime just get that faith moving. Start trusting. Start. Yes, it is wonderful to simply trust him and take him at his word. I know we look around and it all looks so, uh, so impossible and so hard. But it's so sweet to be able to just say, but I'm going to trust you. I hope you do that tonight, tomorrow, whatever. That we can honestly have all the confidence in the Lord because he hasn't changed. His kingdom will never fail. We're a part of his family. And believe me, that is enough to sing blessed assurance. Where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. See, they're learning. They're learning. And I don't think that Jesus even minded those questions. Because he knows, oh, they're going to see. They're going to they're gonna every day see a little bit more. Because sometimes I think we're, we're kind of amazed, too, and... I think there are times Jesus is whispering in our ear, oh, you have seen nothing yet. If you keep trusting me, if you keep believing that I will never leave you through this, I'm not saying storms aren't going to come, but I am expecting you to trust me. And then we are going to get to know him in a way that we would have never known before. So, and then verse 26, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. So now Jesus has a purpose. He takes his disciples and they go across the lake and, and it is Gentile territory. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen there. He's got a purpose and a plan. Now, I, I did notice, did you notice that verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, doesn't say the 12 did, did they? I think they stayed in the boat. They took one look at this. They took one look at this guy running around naked and acting like a wild man, crazy. They thought, I think we're going to stay back here. And Jesus steps ashore. Because for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in the house, but had lived in the tombs. I mean, this is creepy. You know, this guy is just, you know, hollering. And when he saw Jesus, look, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. You know, 
it is just amazing to me how demons seem to be so sure, more, more sure than us sometimes of who Jesus really is. I mean, look, he called him Jesus, son of the most high God. And they also know that they're already doomed. They know they're doomed. Don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. And so right away, you know, they were nervous, thinking, okay, where are we going to go? If he casts us out, then what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? Many times it seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked, what is your name? And he said, Legion. Because many demons had gone in him. And they begged him. The demons begged him, Jesus, repeatedly, not to order them to go Abyss. They ordered him, they, they begged Jesus not to let them go into the abyss. Now, the abyss is not hell. Hell does not get opened until Revelation 20. So, so abyss is still bad, don't get me wrong. And what's so bad for them and why they don't want to go there is because they're grounded there. They're idle. They, they don't get to do what they love to do. They're confined. And so, please, don't order us to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. <laughs> They'd rather go into pigs. Not having any idea or, you know, what's going to happen. And, you know, the big question is, what happened to the demons when the pigs all drowned? I don't know. Wish I could tell you, I don't know. But see, all they care about is just don't set us, don't send us to the abyss, because that we know we're totally, we're totally confined there. So Jesus gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Can you imagine the sound of couple thousand pigs just are shrieking away with those demons inside of them. I bet people in the town heard something. What is that noise? And when those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet. What a sight. What a beautiful sight. This man that they're probably scared to death of. I mean, this crazy guy didn't want to get their kids by them. I mean, after all, he's running around without any clothes on. He lives in the tombs. And now, I mean, now he's, he's got his hair combed. He's sitting there. He's got clothes on. He's in his right mind. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. But look, look at here. Don't you think that when they watched this transformation, don't you think that they would have loved to have gone to Jesus and say, I got a couple questions. 
You know, of course, they're Gentiles. They haven't heard this. But don't you think that that, that would have been a choice that Jesus would have loved to sit down with them and answer their questions and proclaim to them the good news of the kingdom of God. But they chose to what? Let their emotions take over. They were afraid. And instead of asking questions, instead of saying, Jesus, can you stay a little while? So we want to know. We want to know more. Look what they did. Then all the people of the region of the the Genesees asked Jesus to leave them. Instead of asking him to stay so they could get to know him, they asked him to leave because why? They were overcome with fear. I tell you, happens every time. When, when our emotions get bigger than either our curiosity of wanting to grow and learn more or even our faith in general, because the fertile soil is not so fertile right now, and we're closing off the Holy Spirit from trying to remind us what we have learned and what should be in fertile soil. The man from whom the demons had gone out. Well, look what a new identification that is for that man. Instead of being known as the crazy man, he's known as the man from whom the demons had gone out of. He begged to go along with Jesus. Of course he did, of course. And it's not that Jesus didn't want him to come along. I mean, he could understand this man's gratitude just like those women when we started the chapter. You just want to come along. You're just so thankful for what he's done. But Jesus sometimes has other plans for us. And he said to him, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Go home. Go home and tell how much God has done for you. You go and tell your story. And there's no way this man can take credit for anything, so he's going to tell, he's going to tell what God had done for him. And did you notice? Look, it says, so the man went away and told all over town. Wouldn't you love to have been a bug on the wall just watching him? Because I have it pictured. I think he's cute. I think he's adorable. I think he is dressed and he, he's got a smile that you, can, you cannot even describe. You've got this freedom that he is experiencing And he is running through the town, and he is telling them. Is he at all concerned about what people might be saying about him? No. But you know what? That's the whole thing with the sinful woman, too. And why that's us. I mean, even sometimes this crazy man, he doesn't have a name either. And sometimes we can be that crazy sometimes. And the beautiful thing about it is when you are touched by the hand of God and he transforms your heart, you can't, you just got to love this guy. You got to love that sinful woman because they now are beginning a life they probably had totally given up on. 
But isn't that all of us without a Savior? So he went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And now when Jesus returned, a crowd, so now they got back in, Jesus got back in the boat, they went over to the other side, and there was the crowd that was expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came to, and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his, his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. You know, I just wonder if Jairus could have been one of those problem religious leaders that when the disciples were hungry and Jesus broke off a few little kernels, could have been, could have been Jairus that said, yeah, I don't know, that's Sabbath, you know. Or was Jairus there when the man with the shriveled hand was there? Oh, can't do that. You know, could he been one of those problematic synagogue leaders that all of a sudden he's got a 12-year-old and she is dying and all of a sudden you are desperate and all of a sudden when you are desperate you might start seeing things different. You might be willing to put all else aside. All that position and all that authority that you thought you had, all that prestige, synagogue, temple leader thing, you might be willing to put that all aside because you've got a 12-year-old that's dying. And all of a sudden, he comes to Jesus. And see, that's all it takes. All it takes is that little mustard seed of faith because, I mean, this happened all of a sudden. I mean, the day before, this girl could have been fine, and he could have still been one of those grabby leaders. And, you know, and now all of a sudden, he is on his knees, thinking with a little mustard seed of faith, could he be? Could he help me? All of a sudden, desperation causes you to do stuff like this. And he fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him. He's pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, so, you know, didn't you love that? Jesus didn't say, you know, I don't know. Because if he was one of those religious leaders that were causing a problem, what is the first thing you humans think? I don't know, why would I do something nice for you? You're giving me nothing but trouble, nothing but grief. But you see nothing, you see, as Jesus was on his way. The crowds were so great, they were crushing him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Did you notice, 12-year-old daughter, 12 years, this woman was sick. But no one could heal her. Don't you think this fascinated Dr. Luke? I'm sure, I'm sure Dr. Luke, when he heard this story, I'm sure, I thought, I wonder what that was. I wonder what her ailment was. You know, I think his medical, mental mind. But yet, I think he was starting to grow so far beyond being a medical doctor and watching Jesus cure the soul. And so... Jesus 
She came up behind him. You know, this thing about this uncleanness. You know, this woman, if she, she had a, a lot of nerve too because she knew that if she touched anybody else, she would have caused them to be unclean. But like the sinful woman, like Jairus, I mean, you're desperate enough. You really don't care about all that. Because if she would have touched someone, they would have become unclean. That person would have not been able to be a part of any temple worship until they went through ceremonial cleansing. But she is in the middle of this crowd, and she is trying to work herself to Jesus. She came right up behind him. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? They know that she knows who she is. She knows who Jesus is. And there again, that humility, that unworthiness. And she goes behind him and touches the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Jesus asked, who touched me? Well, when they all denied it, leave to Peter say, you know, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. And all, you know, in all reality, he was saying, you know, that, that's not really, you know, something that's unreasonable here because we're all being crowded here. But Jesus said, you know, because he knows the difference between a touch because of just casual contact or whether you touch him and he touches you by faith. When you touch Jesus by faith, that's a whole different thing than just casual contact. When you touch him believing who he is and what he can do and you're willing to touch him, that's a whole different story. And that's why Jesus said, someone, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then verse 47, the, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. I don't know, maybe this is a long shot, but I thought about this for a long time. And when Jesus said the word, someone touch me, I know that power has gone out for me. When he was kind of casing the crowd, could he have caught her eyes? Because he knows. Could he been looking at her? And you know his look would have not been in disgust or anger or how could you? You know the look of Jesus who takes us just as we are. That look of love and acceptance, because I'm sure this poor woman who didn't dare get by any people for 12 years because she would have made them unclean. And now all of a sudden she's got this look of Jesus who is loving her, accepting her. But he doesn't just say and point her out. He, he asks the question, or make this, he made the statement, someone touched me, I know that power has gone out of me. The reason why I said that is because in verse 47, the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed. I think she knew 
She knew that he knew and he saw. And she came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. What does that sound like to you? Doesn't that sound like confession? Yeah. And isn't that the whole goal? That's why it's the first step in salvation. That's why so many can't get beyond that first step because Jesus is looking at you and that with that look of love and acceptance and willingness to take just as you take you just as you are. But but it is a hard pill to swallow when you've got to fess up. I know some people I've heard thought that this was so embarrassing for Jesus. He thought they thought that that was cruel that she sing that he singled her out and made her feel conspicuous and him. No, that's crazy. Of course not. He would never do that. But he will do what needs to be done, and that is get to get to the point that you have nowhere else to go but come to him and confess. And that's exactly what she did. Because look in verse 48. Look what he calls her. Didn't we just learn about, about being a part of God's family? Through faith and belief in his word and being willing to put it into practice. Look what she did. You talk about putting it into practice. She dared get in that crowd and she dared maneuver. I, I would have loved to watch her work that crowd. Get to the point of getting behind him so she could just touch his garment. Oh, I can just see Jesus' face. Yes, this is what I want. This is what I require from everyone. Daughter, your faith has healed you. He wasn't embarrassing her. He was trying to get her to do what's required. Now, for us personally, sometimes it is embarrassing because we've got to fess up. And we don't, want, we don't want people to think that, no, we weren't as good as what we portrayed. Sometimes it is shaming and embarrassing, but that's, that's on us. That's not on Jesus. He's waiting there, just waiting to do that first step. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Can you imagine the, the heart sickness of Jairus? Because, you know, when, G, when Jesus stopped with this woman, it had to have taken some time. I don't know how much time, but it had to have taken some time. And to think it could have gone through Jairus, I know it would come through my head. Like, come on, let's move this along. I asked first. I don't know if he did, but I'm just telling you my, my yuck. That's where my mind goes, you know. Like, come on, we haven't got all, now all of a sudden the word comes, she's dead. Now, hearing this, I mean, Jesus probably looked at Jairus and saw that agony. Like, oh, no. And what did he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, and I would like to put any emotion there. Don't panic. Don't get all shook. Don't get worried. 
I think that's what Jesus is, because he, he sees the look on our face when all of a sudden things happen. And all of a sudden we're jolted, and, and he sees the look on our face. And I think this is the words Jesus wants us to absorb. He's saying, just take a deep breath. Don't let this overcome you. And then look what his next two words are. Just believe. Just believe. Now, that's not easy to do. No. Because it looks like the end of the road. I mean, she's dead. I mean, so, but Jesus is trying to say, don't let that defeat you. Just believe. I'm up to something. And he said, she will be healed. Now, he says that to you and I, too. Our situation will be healed. Um, and what, what does that mean, that we're going to get exactly what we want? No. Healing is when we allow God to have his way. That is such a great healing. It's such a freedom. It's such a release. Because we want what we want. But when we get to know him so well and simply trust him and take him at his word, this is what helps us when we don't get the way we want it to go. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't panic. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get defeated. Don't feel hopeless. Just believe. And if you do, you'll be healed. Because you are relinquishing your will to mine. And that feels mighty good. Because you know it's right, it's good, it's pleasing, perfect. When they arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. So just a choice little group. Did you notice the few disciples, but just the mom and dad? No outsiders. No other, no other family members at all. No friends, nothing. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And look what Jesus says, stop wailing. Now, this isn't that Jesus isn't compassionate because we know he is. And we know also that Jesus weeps. We know he wept at Lazarus' grave. We, we know he feels, he cares. So this whole stop wailing thing, I think there's a difference, at least when I looked up. Wailing is something altogether different. It's almost like it's beyond control. It's an out of the control. You're just wailing. It's just beside, you're just beside yourself. There's no hope. I mean, let's face it, we all cry and we can cry hard. But wailing, I think, is a, the kind of hopelessness. And he says, stop wailing. She is not dead, but asleep. Of course, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Now, how can you be so dead? lifeless, and just by Jesus saying, my child, get up. It can stand that 12-year-old girl right on her feet. I never saw that before. But I couldn't help but think, sometimes when life hits, doesn't it lay us out to the point of almost like we're dead? 
We just don't have any gumption to get up. I just can't go any further. I see no hope here. And what does Jesus want you to do? Listen carefully. Remember he said that? Oh, well, let me just read that again to you. When he said, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Listen to him say to you, don't be afraid. Just believe. You're going to feel and experience healing. Maybe not the kind of healing you thought, but it's going to free you. Because you're going to trust me. And then, you know what he's going to say to you? Now stop wailing, get up. My child, get up. And that's what enables us to go from what seems to be our hopeless state and to hear Jesus through his spirit remind us of what we've learned. And I think we can stand up in the midst of it all. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. I mean, if that's not, let's get going. Don't, don't dwell in the past. Let's not go backwards. Okay, let's keep going. Let's move forward. That's the direction. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them. He ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, I'm sure when you read this so many times today, you thought, oh, I can't, I can't wait to hear um, the, uh, why he would order them to not tell anybody. I got nothing. <laughs> I mean, I don't usually go to commentaries, but this time I was so stumped, I tried going, you know, no one really has an answer. We don't know why he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And I started to think, not that I'm trying to figure it out, but sometimes when we have a personal experience, I think that's why they only took a few disciples and only mom and dad. I think this was going to be an experience that Jesus said, it's just going to be between, it's going to be between us. I mean, they're going to know she's alive, obviously. The word like this is going to spread. But when it comes down to the details and the intimacy and what really transpired here and how he said, my child, get up. And how she just stood up. I think, I think those are details that Jesus is saying, that's going to be between us. And that just really enhances that close walk. You're going to be closer with him than you ever were before when you've gone through something like this or any crisis. When you dare hear him say what he said there to you. Oh, yeah, it is sweet to trust him and take him at his word. But that's why we repeated that line over and over. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary lesson. Now we pray that it takes root, that we do exactly what you say, and that is not just here, but that we listen carefully. We allow your spirit to develop those roots that we leave here, not just hearing a superficial story, but that we heard you talk to us very personally, very strongly. 
right where we, right where we need to be. Because, Lord, you do meet us where we're at. Because here you met Jairus in a situation that happened quickly, and you, you went quick, quickly. You left quickly, even though you did make him wait. But yet this woman, she had to suffer for 12 years. Or Jairus was a very important person. The woman... To most people, she was a nobody. They didn't even know who she was. But no one's ever a nobody in your sight. This man had a lot of means. He probably was very wealthy materialistically. This woman had spent all her money. She had nothing to, to give. But she had faith. Father, it's just so beautiful that we can be assured that you will meet all of us right where we need to be met. You know us. You know exactly what we're going through. You know exactly how you're going to answer. You know how you're going to stretch our faith. You know how we're not going to be the same because of this experience. You know all that. That's why we can confidently say we can know that all things do work for good to those who love you. Because you're never going to lead us to the wrong destination. You're always going to lead us down the right road if we're willing to simply trust you. Father, we thank you again for loving us so much and giving us every tool to be able to live so much more abundantly than just being stuck. Father, we are set free. We're free from the fear of tomorrow, we're free from the guilt of our past. We can sing because he lives. We can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear should be gone because we know who holds our future. And that does make life worth living. We pray this all in that same Savior's name. Amen. <laughs>